Father, we give you thanks, not just on a special day in this country that goes back for so many years. We give you thanks daily for the breath that we receive, the food you provide, the clothing and the shelter. And you tell us in Matthew 6 that we're not to worry about these types of things. You just provide them. And so, Father, we express thanks to you. And we'd ask, Lord, that you would uh, just fill us with your spirit this morning, that we might walk in thankfulness, that we might not look with what is going around us in the world and be discouraged or dismayed, but you would help us to be encouraged, just like the apostles and all the disciples were at the beginning of this church. So, Father, we would pray for your insight, your wisdom, and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so after being brought before the rulers, elders, and the chief priests and being threatened not to speak any longer about Jesus, Peter and John were released. They gave thanks to God. They prayed and asked God to do more miracles. And the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldly. Now, they shared what they had in common and no one was left without and what they would do now there's this guy we know him as Barnabas but did you know his name was also Joseph and he was a Levite we're told this in the book of Acts and he had a piece of property and he sold it and he gave the money to the disciples and of course we know he ended up going out in the missionary field with the apostle Paul and so he was one of several people that decided to sell things, <clears throat> excuse me, that they had so that the apostles could give them to people who were in need. And that, I believe, is supposed to be the job of the church to some degree. We're supposed to focus on that. Certainly, we're supposed to have teaching and worship and fellowship, the breaking of bread, all of those things were to participate in. But we're also supposed to take care of individuals who truly cannot take care of themselves. Now, in verse 32, we start to see what this story is all about. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. I'm sorry, this is chapter 4, verse 32. I believe that's where I am. And then 34 says, there were no needy persons among them or none of them lacked anything. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the apostles determined the needs and they fulfilled them with the money that was given to them for that purpose. So there was still a regular income of money coming to those who were Jews. Now, they would have also been contributing at the temple because they, they were full-on Jews. These were not Gentiles here. These were Jews. And, and that's how the temple also took care of those who were in need. But now the Christians themselves, and remember, there's some heat coming down from on high, the rulers and the elders and the chief priests, and they're putting pressure on these guys not to say anything or not to do anything. And these guys, these apostles, they're constantly praying to God, 
God, do more miracles. Give us more opportunity to speak out. And I'm sure the chief priests and the rulers were just apoplectic. Their veins were popping out of their neck like, what are these guys doing? And the more they did this and the more miracles that took place, the more people got saved and they started filling up Solomon's colonnade. There were 5,000 people, as we'll find out in this story, that ended up getting saved. And these, they usually just counted the men. They didn't count the women or the children. And so there were thousands of people coming into the temple, filling up Solomon's colonnade. They would meet together. They'd have other meeting places. And people would bring money for them. And they would share what they had in common. And the people were completely unified. There was no disunity whatsoever taking place, and they were being a tremendous witness. They were becoming very powerful as far as influence was concerned, and that's what was making the Jews, the leaders, the chief priests, that was making them so upset, and they ended up becoming jealous. So there was nothing lacking whatsoever, and this is what we would call benevolence. Now, this church, as well as the churches that I have come from, there was always some type of benevolence that was ready to be had for those who were truly in need. Now, we are to be involved on a personal level with benevolence. If we find that somebody needs something, it really isn't the first job of the church to take care of them. It's the job of the person who finds out that someone else is in need. And they give of what they have to help that individual. We are also supposed to be involved on a corporate church level of helping those who are in need. If somebody comes to the church and says, you know, I'm really in need. And this is where it is important for people to be involved in a body. If somebody comes from the outside and says that they are in need, we don't immediately turn them down. We kind of find out the circumstances and we see where they are and give them a little bit of counsel. And normally we help them. And if at a minimum, we usually help them with food. Anything else beyond that, it really takes a lot of wisdom to help somebody who comes from outside the church. And we will get calls, not on a regular basis, but we do get calls from time to time of people needing help. And sometimes you can tell that they're completely in need. And sometimes you can tell, well, maybe it's a little bit of a scam. I'm not quite so sure. So personally, we're supposed to help. Corporately as a church, we're supposed to help. But what about society? Society in general. Is society supposed to help? Now, for us as a church and the churches in Lakeside, we give to the Lakeside Help Center. And, of course, Nancy's over there and a few others. They go and they assist and they give food and clothing and things like that. And there can be a recommendation that comes from the churches in order to give people some assistance. But sometimes there's boxes of food out there that come from different grocery stores around the area. And that food helps feed the people. And I, I think that that's a good thing that the churches in Lakeside get together and they contribute to this need. But society in general, now we know that there are places like Samaritan's Purse, there's the SHARE program that hands out food, all of that. But I firmly believe that our government is not supposed to be involved in acts of benevolence. Now I'm going to explain that a little bit here. But first, those who are in need, there's usually a couple of different categories. There are those who through circumstances not of their own, they need food, they need clothing, they need shelter. To give a perfect example of this is Hurricane Ian and Fort Myers down in Florida. There are people who lost everything. 
down there. And that's why we go for hurricane relief. That's why we went to Katrina. That's why we went to Sandy, New Jersey and Houston and flooding. And we've done those things in the past. And I'm still talking with the people back in Florida, whether or not we're going to go after the first of the year, maybe in February or so. We'll just see how the Lord leads. But for the time being, we just look at Ian. We pray for those people back there, the the damage that Ian did. And we want to make sure that they're provided for. We can not only just send ourselves, but we can also send money uh, to help in the efforts that are back there. So that's the first group. Those who have circumstances come upon them. They didn't do anything except now they're in harm's way and they need some assistance. There's a secular group like the Red Cross and they are involved in things like that. There are those who through circumstances they created are in need of food, clothing and shelters. Uh, Like, for instance, if you took all your money and you lately put it into crypto, uh, did you see what happened with that? A few billion dollars just disappeared, and the guy who was heading that thing up, as immoral as he can possibly be, he has no morality if you've read about him at all, and he was embraced by politicians and celebrities out there, and he was just giving money away, not only to the politicians, not only to some of the entertainers which were out there, but also to the media. In other words, he was buying them off because he had a Ponzi scheme going. And people just lost everything in this crypto scheme that was out there. So people, if they invested in that, they might find themselves not having anything or being really down on their luck, so to speak. There are other circumstances that you can do. People who seek to get rich quickly, they fall into many snares, many traps. And sometimes, you know, they come to the church. And, you know, I've, I have this need, this problem. It's, I don't know how I'm going to help it. And, and you just need to maybe be limited on how much you would help them as an individual as well as the corporate entity like the church. So there's those two groups. Then there are those who through circumstances or through their choices and unwillingness who are able to work, refuse and they don't want to improve their circumstances or, and in need of help. Let me say that again more clearly. Those people who made their bed and still want to sleep in it and don't want to correct anything. Those people, I might buy them a hamburger. And that's the extent of it. Uh, probably won't help them much. They, they won't move into a program that will assist them because those programs have rules. Now, even secular governments recognize this. You can go into El Cajon on several street corners and you can see signs that say, please do not give to panhandlers. It's my version of what is said there, but that's what the signs say. Do not help the panhandlers. And I think that's full of wisdom. Even in the church, it was the Apostle Paul in Second Thessalonians 3.10 that gave a rule. He gave the rule to the people there. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And th- some people would call this tough love. But I see all the time pulling up to street corners where people open their windows and they just pass like a $20 bill. And I think that can be so damaging. Now, it, maybe you've done that at some time. But it just assists the person in remaining in the state that they are and they don't want to get out of it. There are so many available programs to get people out of that. But normally it's a person who mentally is not in their full capacity and they have fallen into homelessness and they remain there and they don't want to get out. And I actually think it's inhumane 
to let them remain on the street. I, I have seen, even here in Lakeside, I have seen people with the dreadlocks, and I'm sure there's probably lice everywhere, and they're out of their minds, and they're not getting medication. If they got medication, it would help them be in their right mind, and they could function. But the laws that have been passed by those people with this particular view to help the homeless, they say, no, you can't do that. They have the freedom to be crazy on the street and live on the sidewalk. I just think that that's inhumane. I think we're supposed to help those individuals. Then there's the other group, the drug addicts that are out there. You know, places that I've worked, I've found dozens and dozens of needles uh, out there. And you have to clean that stuff up and you have to be careful and it's really difficult. And, And so we know that even scripture says, look, you're supposed to be productive if you're inside the church, if you are capable, if you are able. And then there are those because of their mentality or family and friends will never be able to take care of themselves. And something has to be done for them. Now, what is done specifically? It takes the wisdom of Solomon to find out because most churches, they they can't just be shelling out rent or shelling out food all the time. And something has to be done. And there are, quote unquote, government programs that are like that. But I still think that this needs to be located inside the individual, inside the church and private organizations, not in the government at all. Now, people will come along and they'll want you to give them some money. I'm sure all of us in here at one time or another have been confronted or asked, one of the two ways, for money, for some help. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of personal examples. And these personal examples, they were just trying to take me. And there's another example of somebody offered him help and he didn't want it. Now, I'm going to talk about that one first. Down on 2nd Avenue, this was years ago, where you remember the bank, uh, Great American Federal, uh, that was down on 2nd Avenue. It had the blue roof that was over there. Well, the guy walked up to the ATM, and I happened to be there. And do you guys remember what wallabies were? The shoe, wallaby? It's a particular shoe that was really, everybody had them in the 70s and 80s. And this guy had a set of wallabies on, but there were no soles on the bottom. His feet were in the top of the shoe, but his feet were filthy and they were on the ground. And he had this trench coat on and his hair was all a mess. You could tell he was homeless. And he was standing in the ATM line. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, buddy, you need a little help? And he goes, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. He goes, see, I got some money here. I got $400 a month coming. And I thought, and this was years ago. I thought, what? $400 a month? I go, don't you need some clothes or something? And he goes, no, I'm good. I said, wait, let me take you across the street to the McDonald's, get a hamburger, and let's talk. And so I talked to him. He goes, no, man, I just want to be on the streets. I just want to be homeless. I said, okay. And that was it. I left. That's where he wanted to be. Now, he probably had a drug or alcohol problem of some kind. He was in his right mind when I talked to him. But that's just where he wanted to be. Now, should that be illegal or legal as far as society and the health of society? Looking at it through a biblical lens? No, that is not helpful to society. What if hundreds want to do that? There's over a thousand homeless in uh, El Cajon. Are you just supposed to let them be homeless and do what they do out of the sh- I, I don't think so. I don't think we're supposed to help them. Again, looking through the biblical lens. Well, another example... Patty and I, she'll probably remember this. This was years ago. We were in downtown San Diego one evening. 
And this man comes up to me, and he had a different accent, and he said, you know, sir, can you please help me and my family out? We've arrived out here, and we've run out of money, and we have nothing. My wife and my kids uh, were put up in a hotel over here and just wanted to know if you could give us a few dollars uh, so we could get some food. And I thought, okay, this guy seemed legit. But I just had this check in my spirit. And I said, so where are you staying? Because I didn't have the money on me. I was going to go get some money. And I said, where are you staying? He goes, over at the St. James Hotel, sir. And he's calling me sir. And I go, okay. So I said, what's your name? I'm going to go to the St. James Hotel. I'm going to leave it for you there for your room. I said, what's your name and what's your room? Went and got the money. Went over to the St. James Hotel. And lo and behold, Who? We don't know this guy. And I said, well, can you tell me if he's registered in this room? And the guy says, no. I said, are you sure? He goes, I can tell you, nobody by that name is in that room. The guy was trying to fleece me. You know, and I'm thinking, man, you sly snake. You know, telling me this lie so I would help you, just give you some money. All kinds of people like that out there. Another time, and maybe you've heard this one. I've shared this one years ago. Patty and I were going to a movie. And I don't know, she was mad at me for something probably that I did wrong. And, and you know, she was kind of like this, you know, with me. And we're going to a movie. We're going to go on the, it's all my fault. I just want to clarify that. It was all my fault, whatever it was. And, and we were in the parking lot. And you, I see this guy running up towards us. You know, he's running like this and he's kind of sweaty. And I, I see him coming straight for us. It's like, dun 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 He is focused in on us. And so I just stop, wait for him to come up. And he goes, oh, oh man, can you help us out? Me and my buddy, we're stuck on the freeway right over there. This is at Grossmont Center. He's right on the freeway, Highway 8. We've run out of gas and I need to get some gas so we can get to our destination. And for some reason, none of us had gas in the car. Can you help us out with a few bucks for gas? And I look at Patty and she goes, like, okay, are we going to go to the movie? You going to help this guy out? And I go, okay. So I said, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get in the car with me. I'm going to go get you the gas, and we're going to take it to your vehicle. And I, I saw him. He goes, what? what? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's get in the car. I pull out my keys. I'm getting ready to go get the gas. And all of a sudden, he turns around and says, oh, there's my buddy over there. I think he has some gas. And he takes off running again. The guy wanted to fleece me is what he wanted. He didn't want any gasoline. And you have, you have to ask God for so much wisdom. If somebody comes up just off the street, it, chances are they're trying to fleece you. Chances are they're being a snake. They just want your money. In this day and age, they'd probably just take it from you if you didn't give it to them. But we want to be aware and we want to help people. People who were genuinely in need. Now, as far as the government is concerned, I believe in the founding fathers and what they, I think that it was divinely appointed for them to get together. Some of them were Christians, some were deists. They all had this idea that God existed. And they set up, I believe, the greatest country that ever lived because God's blessing was upon it. And here's what one of the founding fathers, James Madison, said about benevolence. Now, I'm going to read it the way he wrote it, and then I'll read it, or I'll tell you 
what it says here. Not that you can understand it, but it's, it's in a little bit more difficult uh, verbiage here. It says, I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article of the Constitution which granted the right to Congress of expending on objects of benevolence the money of their constituents. What that means is, he says, in the Constitution which limits the power of government, tells them only what they can do and they can't do anything beyond that. That's what the Constitution says. He says, I can't put my finger on any amendment that says the government is supposed to give money to the people who pay taxes or who don't pay taxes. Now, he's saying to those who pay taxes. What do we have today? Well, we have welfare, Food stamps, EBT, Social Security, AFDC, state and federal disability, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, some of us, we're going to be participating in that, or you already are participating in that. What that has done is taken what God has intended for a private individual or a church or a private corporation to help people, and the government has taken it. Why do you think they did that? Because if you become dependent on the government, they control you. Go back in time a little bit. Remember George Bush? Uh, the last George Bush, not the father that was with Reagan. George W. Bush. And he came up with this idea to privatize Social Security. Do you remember what happened? There was a tidal wave of uproar and discontent and you're going to cost people money and no way, no how. But the government constitutionally does not have the power to do this, to give money to people. They actually encourage single motherhood with the AFDC, aid to dependents of these families, these single families. And it encouraged women to have more and more kids and they paid them to have more and more kids if there was no man around. And it, it was horrible for the country. Everything that seems like the government puts our hands in just goes askew. And we have to roll them back. That's why I believe in small government. Some people believe that the government is the answer for everyone. And especially them being involved in benevolence. It takes away the ability for us to help people show mercy and kindness and encouragement. And all they have to do is go to an office and get a check or get some food assistance or something like that. And God meant us to do it. Now, I, I know there was um, one example where Charlie Kirk, now I love Charlie Kirk, uh, and I love to listen to what he has to say, but when some of these checks are going out over the pandemic, maybe you got some of those checks, he said, don't use your check, give it to one of these groups and fund these groups. Well, I understand what he was saying, but that's not the solution. The solution is don't take the money for yourself or for anyone else and fund those other institutions by yourself. Because, and this is, it's like putting dog in, or dog in front of a meat, meat in front of a dog. If you have this nice little sirloin and you put it in front of a dog or a wolf and say, don't eat it. That's the check that comes to us from the government. And we want to say, I think this looks like meat and I'm a dog and I want to eat it. You want to take in that money. And, you know, and if they don't take it in, guess what happens? Goes back to the government. They spend it somewhere else. And so we justify, let's take the money. 
Now, am I saying don't take the money? No, because there's a lot of people in need and they need to take the money. And how are you going to correct this? Well, I don't think we are. I don't think we're going to correct this. I think it's going to lead to our downfall doing this. And that's how democracies fall. Democracies fall when the people realize that they can vote themselves money. We are a constitutional republic, which is different. There's a buffer between us voting for what we want. And the people are failing. The leaders are failing on this. And so this whole idea of benevolence, yes, we are supposed to help first individually, then corporately as a church and even private organizations. I believe that's the way God wants it operating. But in our laws in this country that we have, I believe it is against the law to do that. Now, again, should we be doing that? Should we not be doing that? I'm not going to judge any servant of God. I'm just going to let it go, even myself. Have I taken a check like that? Yeah, I have. And what am I supposed to do with that money? Well, am I supposed to tithe off that money, buy some video game, or, you know, what am I supposed to do? God wants us to have wisdom in this. But he wants us to see the big picture, not just the individual who's on the street that needs a few dollars. Our job is to encourage them to be better. That's why we meet in church. We follow what the Bible has to say. We learn what it has to say so we become better people. Not only does it better ourselves, but it betters everyone around us as well. And we don't allow the slackness that has taken place. We don't allow the greed to come in and the pride and the arguing. We just simply say, no, this is wrong. And we're supposed to stand up for that. You know, in our particular society that we have here, you know who Mike Rowe is? Dirty Jobs. He recently came out and said 7 million eligible, able-bodied men aged 25 to 54 are not looking for work. He said 7 million. There's another report on Industry Week. It's an online magazine. They said there are 20 million workers needed. 20 million people are not working out there is what they said. I don't know how many millions it is, but it's millions that are not working, looking for work. Why aren't they looking for work? Ask, your question, ask yourself the question, you think they're starving? The answer is no, they're not starving. What does the Bible say about the man's stomach? It drives him, it propels him to work. And if you step in and you give benevolence and people take it, they'll live at a subsistence level rather than work. And if they do that, the society goes downhill and it's the eventual fall. This is all in benevolence here. And we know, we have the example of the church. Those people who need help, we're supposed to help them. But you know, our government was never set up to, our, our government was set up to protect citizens and not provide an income. Now the taxes we pay are going to illegal aliens that are coming across the border and giving them $2,000, $2,500 a month to live on. And our own vets, they're suffering. And there are people who are American citizens that are suffering. And you start looking at this and you start pulling your hair out and you go, what is going on here? Why are we doing this? Well, I think there are nefarious characters doing things that will lead to the downfall of society. And we're supposed to stand up against that and say, no, this is wrong. And again, we're supposed to think of others better than ourselves. This will actually be a benefit. Will it cause pain and suffering? Yeah, it'll cause pain and suffering for everybody. But we're supposed to have this biblical view. Now, as far as ourselves helping individuals, 
In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so the example he uses here is helping somebody who is in need. And I believe this is a mandate in Scripture. So I digress here. There are benevolent acts that are to be carried out by individuals and the church. In verse 34, it repeats it, or I repeat it here. It says, there were no needy persons or people who lacked among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, bought the money, or brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now, as we get into chapter 5 and chapter 6, we'll see in chapter 6 that they appointed seven men, Stephen was one of them, to take care of the ministration of the widows that were there. And so that's what the church was supposed to be involved in. And, and we're going, we're seeing this example that is here, and this example is for us as well. So there were people who were helped, who were in need. The unity among the people was outstanding. They spoke the word of God boldly, and they were just tightly knit together because of this. There was sacrifice going on, and that's what the church is supposed to look like today. And that's why I want to encourage the fellowship. That's why I want to encourage like the, the Christmas get-together or the men's fellowship or the, the retreat or the women's retreat. We need to be knit together as one in what we believe. Not being all the same person, you know, that we look like a bunch of digits sticking up. We're all individuals, but we need to be knit together. And then there was this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They decided to sell a piece of property. And I think most of you are familiar with this story. But in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Now take note of that. Lied to who? The Holy Spirit. For those people who believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, electricity is a force, right? Can you go to the light socket on the back of the wall there and tell a lie to the power in the light socket? Do you think it cares at all? But this shows that the Holy Spirit is a person. You can only lie to a person. And so it says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't I, or didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You made, or what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. So the Holy Spirit is deity, lied to the Holy Spirit, lied to God, according to these two verses here. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. So to summarize the story, his wife and him, they got together, you know, we could still use some of this money, but we can sell this just like everybody else, just like Joseph. He sold his, Barnabas, he sold his plot of land, brought the money to the disciples, and, you know, it, it looked good for him. So we, we should do that too. It looked good for us. So they sold the land, said, but let's keep a little bit for ourselves. 
And so Ananias apparently went in there and said, here's all the money for the land. And we don't see anything but Peter saying, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Peter didn't say, oh, thanks for the money. Now, by the way, he just went right for the juggler, so to speak. You're a lying man. Why did you come in here and do this? You could have said, well, I'm only going to keep part of it. But apparently he didn't do that because we'll see his wife, Sapphira, confirms that this is what they're doing. They sold it, said they sold it for so much, but they didn't. They sold it for more and they're keeping back part of the money. Now, in our day and age, if you did something like that, that'd be great. But in this day, they were lying about how much the property sold for. Then it goes on in verse 7. About three hours later, like, where is my husband? He hasn't come home yet. Three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Can you imagine this happening in the church today? Somebody comes forward and they're talking to somebody in the church, you know, somebody who's a leader in the church, and all of a sudden they just collapse right where they are and die because of some falsehood that was said. I'll tell you, would fear come upon the church? I think most people would not come back to church. I'd say, oh, there's death in that land. And they will not want to have anything to do with that whatsoever. And this feel uh, filled the people with a tremendous amount of fear. Like, we better not lie about anything. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. So there was this deception, there was this discovery, and then there was death. And this was all perpetrated because of greed and pride that they had. The deception, they wanted things to appear different than they actually were. That's the deception. They wanted it to appear that they were being gracious, but yet they were lying to God himself. They wanted others to think that they were sincere in giving the full price of the field. They wanted others to think that they were more generous than they actually were. And they wanted others to hold an opinion of them that was higher than it actually was. We all want people to think higher of us then we actually are in our standing. If we all just walk around going, yep, full-on blown pagan sinner, that's what I was, and I'm still a sinner, and I'm saved by grace, and have I lied since I've been a Christian? Yes, lied. Have you stolen anything since you've been a Christian? Well, I, I don't think I have, but maybe I stole time. Have you ever done that on a time card? Well, you know, it's almost that time. Let me put a few more minutes on there. What? That's stealing as well. Uh, Taking more than what's rightfully due to you, you know, that's all stealing. We are all guilty. And if we just have that in mind and forget about the self-esteem, no, we're sinners saved by grace. But those sinners, if we're not saved, we go to hell, we're condemned, we're under a curse. And that's the way the whole world is. That's why I was so against the... uh, the movement to make kids, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so good. And we would tell that to people, no, you're a sinner. And that's what we want to tell them. But 
There's a happy answer to that. We give them the flip side of the coin. We don't leave them there, say, you're a horrible person, goodbye, and walk away. We don't say stuff like that. We tell them, you're a horrible person, I'm a horrible person, God saves us in spite of who we are, and that's the love of God. That's what we want to express to people. So God calls us to be genuine, no false pretenses, no charades, no facade. You guys know what a facade is, right? Uh, If you go to like a movie set, I've toured some movie sets, Warner Brothers, way back in the day. My uncle owned a movie theater, and we went through, we saw the set for Remember the show Bonanza? You know, we, we saw that set and it was great. And we saw the facades. These, they look like houses and they weren't houses. It was just the front uh, that was on there. Or Tom Hanks was in the movie The Burbs or something like that, that Wisteria Lane. That's, a, a, that's at Universal Studios. You can drive through that and there are houses that are up there, but it's all fake. It's completely fake uh, that's up there. God doesn't want a facade in front of us. He wants the genuine article to be out there. And discovery, God knows all. We cannot hide a single thing. He knows what each one of us is thinking right at this moment in our own tiny heads and these brains. He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're planning to do today. And you think, he knows that about everybody in the world at the same time and you whoa he knows a lot yeah he does and he knows when we're trying to be deceptive he knows when we're sinning he knows when we're doing works of righteousness and this is pointed out several places in scripture i could give you numerous scriptures that talk about this but god knows everything and what was the result of this death they ended up dying and this wasn't a case of church discipline. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, it talks about church discipline, kicking somebody out of the church. The church does not have the ability to carry out capital punishment. That means we don't have a hanging tree somewhere. We don't have an electric chair. We don't have lethal injection. We don't do any of that stuff. We leave that to God. It can be like Ananias and Sapphira. They can drop dead right there. Or they can repent and they can be inside the body. Now, does this happen today? No, I don't know of any cases where this is happening today. But God wanted his church at that time to be pure. Now, this also happened in the Old Testament. There was this guy by the name of Achan. If you remember the story in the Old Testament when when you had Joshua, he crossed over the river, River Jordan. And when he got on the other side, they went to Jericho. And, of course, they walked around the walls of Jericho. And and then they broke some pots and the walls fell down around Jericho. And it was a tremendous victory. Well, from there, Joshua said, okay, I want a few of you guys to go up to Ai, the city of Ai. And I want you to check it out. And we're going to take that city as well and come back with a report how we can do it. And the guys came back and said, yeah, we can take care of this. Two or three thousand people. That's all we need to take care of this. And so Joshua, Joshua told him, go ahead. Go up there to Ai, take out two or 3,000 people. Well, they didn't get it. They didn't take the city. 36 of them died, and the people were distraught. And Joshua went in before the Ark of the Covenant, laid down before the Lord until evening time, was just asking the Lord, why, why is this going on? Why are we having people die? This shouldn't be the case. And God turns to him and says, get up. Why are you on your face? And Okay, he got up and he goes, now I want you to go out and I want you to find out who is breaking the law. In the verbiage of the passage in Joshua chapter 7, it was like the Israelites have sinned. And so the next day they cast lots. 
Now, the casting lot is where you take up some bones or some uh, little dice or something, and you roll them out there, and it would fall to a lot on which tribe was sinning. And it went down to the tribe of, I believe, uh, Zimri was involved in that. Zimri was the father of Achan. And they narrowed it down. They kept on casting lots to which family inside of this family would it be and which person inside the family. And the lot fell to Achan. And so Joshua walks up to Achan and he says to them, it says to him, my son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. You could see him kind of like a fatherly figure putting his arm around him. Now tell me what you have done. And Achan goes, it's true. It's true. He said, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylon garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And he took them to his tent and buried them in his tent. God knew that. Out of the millions of people that were there, God knew it was Achan. And the lots fell to Achan. So what happened to Achan? They stoned him. They killed him right there, piled a great heap of stones upon him because he was taking something that was supposed to be devoted to God and kept it for himself. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They said they were dedicating something to God, but they didn't. They kept back some of it for themselves. Do we have anything that belongs to God and we're keeping it for ourselves? What about your time? You have been redeemed. What about your efforts in helping others or showing benevolence? All of these things where we choose not to give God his honor and his glory and obedience to him, if we decide to take it back for ourselves, we are also in a precarious situation. Now, will God take us out? Well, I'm not going to give you the mind of God. I don't know the mind of God except what is in Scripture. Could he? Yes. Might he? I don't know. Will he? I hope not. You know, that's kind of where I am. But it's this idea that we would take for ourselves because of our own pride and greed what God wants for himself from us. So I would say for us as a church, we should dedicate ourselves giving our lives to him. We should not hold back anything. As much as we can become dedicated to him, we should. Because we were bought with a price. He owns us. And we can give him the respect and the obedience that is due for him. In Acts chapter 5 verse 11, which we'll close on. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. May the fear of God be in us because that is the beginning of wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom requires us to be humble. So maybe we put away the pride and take up humility and lowliness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the examples that are here. How Joseph did well in selling the land and giving it back to God. And how Ananias and Sapphira, although they may have been saved, Lord, they withheld something that was yours and lied about it. I pray that we would not do so, any one of us, Lord, even me, that we would give to you what is due you, the glory, the honor, the praise, and also our hearts in our obedience. And with your help, we'll do it. In Jesus' name, the church said, please stand.